Hey, Bobby here. Welcome to Quotalist, where software sales leaders and professionals share ideas to help you master your mind, your business, and your time. Remember, when we embrace practice, develop awareness, and align our efforts, we can rise above the deal. We can live Quotalist. Hey there, I'm Bobby Dysart, and this is Quotalist. Today's episode is sponsored by my podcasting partner, SalesCast. They offer revenue-first podcasts for entrepreneurs and sales leaders. You can catch me as well as founders Colin and Chris hanging out on Slack in their podcasting community. If you're interested, it's free to join. Just head over to salescast.co. We'll get started right away here with one question trivia, and then I will introduce our guest, Jason, properly. Uh, So Jason, uh, in the book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, the author described an experience with a new meditation technique called 40 Years of Zen. During his experience, his meditation group was hooked up to specialized biofeedback equipment that measured their brainwaves. Their main goal was to learn how to increase their alpha waves. These waves promote higher levels of creativity, a more relaxed mind, and better problem-solving problem abilities. So the question is, and, and we'll get to why this book is very relevant to, uh, to Jason Mark, um, but the question is, what was the one big secret they discovered increased alpha waves the most? Was it A, curiosity, B, affection, C, praise, or D, forgiveness? D, forgiveness. Boom. I'll explain. I'll explain to you why I know this from the tip of my tongue. While I was at Mind Valley, and not only was I on the lead book launch team for Code of the Extraordinary Mind, so I know that book very well, uh, but I was also the lead partner manager uh, for the Forty Years of Zen Company. So I designed their sales processes and made sure that any lead from Mind Valley would go and buy their product too. So I know forgiveness is the most powerful tool to increase alpha. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I'm so happy. Like when I design these one questions, right? Like I want you to get them, but I also want it to be something that is really valuable to the audience. And I think this, uh, this struck it well. So yes, forgiveness. Um, and, and that was one of my favorite parts of the book. So, um, so we'll get to talking about that. I guess we'll do a proper intro here. So for the past seven years, Jason Mark Campbell, who is today's guest has served personal transformation, super community, mind Valley, as host for revenue programs and partnerships, podcasts, and events. He helped launch founder Vishen Lakiani's aforementioned bestselling book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Jason's been a featured speaker at events by HubSpot, Inc. Magazine, and A-Fest, sharing stages with Gary Vee, Jason Silva, Lisa Nichols, and of course, Vishen himself. He's also authored his own book, Selling with Love, and hosts a weekly podcast by the same name. Jason, welcome to Quotalist. Bobby, it's a pleasure to be here. Excited to share with your community too. Cool, cool. Um, so, you know, I really want to get into the book and I just love, I mean, I actually love the title Selling with Love. Um, I think there's this interesting dynamic between love and fear and all kinds of stuff that I, I, I dug into uh, researching for the show. 
Um, but as we were talking right before we started, you know, recording, um, I'm also interested in Mind Valley, and you spent seven years there, so that's incredible. So without without taking up too much time, um, I guess just give us the ten thousand foot view of like, hey man, what what was the last seven years look like, and what's the last say six months look like now that you want to kind of transition? I think a little bit into more focusing on selling with love, being an author, um, sort of your own personal brand. Yeah, so. <clears throat> I think the journey is really the highlight of showing the 30,000 foot view because Mind Valley, when I started, is very different than the Mind Valley that it is now. I was attracted initially to the Mind Valley brand because they were amazing at online marketing. Like, if you were looking to do uh, online courses at the time, it was very interesting looking back in 2012. There was a lot of people pushing personal development products, but did not always have the highest levels of integrity as to what they actually delivered compared to what they would market and sell. And everything would look really gross, like disgusting. Like if you've ever seen landing pages back in 2012, they would be like the craziest font, which would make the designers cringe. But for some reason, these people would still convert and it would be effective and people would just look at how to maximize revenue. Mindvalley started doing something different where they injected a lot of branding. They started putting initiatives to ensure that the courses were actually amazing and that there were actual customer support agents that were prioritized to serve customers. This was quite new in this field that was still quite young and is interesting for you know a, a field that's all about personal growth, personal transformation, how much there was a, a gap between what was being delivered. And Mindvalley kind of stepped up to the plate. And I was inspired by what they were doing and found myself there in their office by 2013. Uh, quick story of how I got that was they had an email sequence that would say you can visit their office. And I was already in Southeast Asia at the time. So it wasn't a far flight to go visit them. So I did. And this was what was interesting is that I was a bit jaded by the whole online marketing space because I started thinking, wow, anybody can put up a website, look good and sell whatever they want, but are they actually legit? And it's by going to see them in their office, seeing that they had a real office, hundreds of employees. I'm talking to the various employees at the office. I'm like, all these people are incredible. So it was very natural for me to want to join them. But Mindvalley wasn't very well known at the time. They were actually promoting other people's products as a publisher. And it was around the time that I did join that Mindvalley started to put their stake in the ground and say, we are a Mindvalley as a brand that actually is going to be known forward-facing. And throughout that seven journeys, my God, we we had a lot of growth. We had a lot of transformations, ups, downs. And uh, you know, it's, it's been quite amazing to have been a part of their journey during such a pivotal time from being a startup to really being a scale-up. And I had a chance to work with top authors in the space, design courses, run events, speak on stage. And I, I've just been a very big admirer of the, the founder himself. It was funny, just before jumping on this podcast, I'm living in Bali now. I've left Mindvalley two years ago. But I still remain great friends and close contacts with Vision and a lot of key team members there because it's just a great environment. I, I, I wake up to a, a video where Vision is telling somebody, somebody film this, somebody film this. They're running an event right now. A thousand people are in Tallinn, Estonia, and they're just learning from a lot of different topics. And someone's like, somebody send this to Jason. And I had another colleague, they're like, we're already filming this. And there I am blown up on the screen at Mind Valley in my underwear three times because they're doing this promotion for health and fitness and they're showing my before and after. And so during my time at Mind Valley, I also was the before and after model for showing what happens when you take care of yourself. And, uh, and then they were just sharing some love and saying hi to me that I couldn't be there. So, you know, it's, 
it's a wonderful company to be a part of. It's wonderful to be able to promote products that actually make a difference and make an impact. And I think there's, you know, something that was forged within me about what is the possibility that exists when you do embrace sales and you do it with a goal of making an impact and not needing to compromise on your integrity. If you go through my book, there's always going to be a lot of references to Mind Valley, given that it's been such a big part of shaping me to who I am now. Mm, mm. Yeah, man, I, I can only imagine. I mean, I've, I've worked with startups uh, almost my whole career. So definitely for at least the past decade and not, none of which for seven years. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's pretty crazy the transformation that you can be exposed to um, across uh, certainly seven years of time. But even in like a short span, when you're talking about an organization that, you know, doubles or triples uh, in short order. And I think to, to, to add to that, Mind Valley just having the focus on personal growth, right, and human transformation or the advancement of, of ourselves, basically, like that just had to be had to be a journey, man. Just had to be a, quite the experience. Yeah, definitely quite blessed for that. And you know, you 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 highlight how being in the personal growth space that's even much more of a pressure cooker. But I would say one of the more interesting things is just how how much you have to grow when you're in an organization that has to change so fast. And it was very interesting because as I mentioned, I've left the organization two years ago and some people are like, why, why would you leave? Well, my Valley got to a point that what it requires from people is very different than what it used to back when I joined. And I consider myself a little bit of a pirate within an organization. And given the size that Mind Valley's at, growing you know, with it as it's trying to find product market fit, launch some new innovations and going into brand new product lines, having a very well-skilled pirate with sales experience was a very useful skill to have. And where I felt myself becoming a little stagnant is as Valley is growing into a larger and larger organization that really needs to have great structure, predictable uh, processes, et cetera. It just became a little less exciting for someone like me to be a part of that team. And I started thinking, is this the way that I can show up in the world and serve the most? And I, I find it fascinating because there's a lot of you know great resignation buzz going around and a lot of people leaving their jobs, but not not with the same energy, like kind of leaving their jobs saying like, you know, flipping the bird and just going like, hey, I'm out of here. Bye. Uh, but to me, I remember having the conversation and again, a token towards what happens when an organization decides to come with a level of call it growth, maturity uh, and development is I can have a conversation and say, I'm trying to find a way that I can serve even more. But being an employee is not the way to do it. So I transitioned myself into now not being an employee, but I'm an author on their platform. I teach productivity. And every single week, I'm a host for their online trainings around marketing, sales, entrepreneurship. So I still get to be connected, serve their tribe, but I ain't doing the nine to five anymore. <laughs> no, man. I mean, and, and, and yeah, and, and seven years is a long time. So it's like, um, or... Um, you know, and especially again at that, at that volume um, and, and working on some of the projects you've worked with. Um, I, I guess the last thing I want to touch on with regards to Mind Valley specifically um, is launching that book alongside Vision. Um, what, what was like your big takeaway from there? And um, may we transition that into um, how you prepared to uh, package up your own book and then ultimately uh, release it to the world? Very interesting. Uh, I would say the best takeaway from this, uh, which ties very much into what we're going to talk about today, is writing a book is 15% of the battle, right? 15%. And then you're like, 
wait, what? Shouldn't the book be the most important thing? No, it's actually the selling of the book that is the most important. And I think that represents itself in every single industry to everything else you do. But you would think a book is supposed to be a piece of content. It's, it's based on putting all your efforts into the book. And please don't take this as saying you need to write a bad book. No, that just gets you to the starting gate. Then you actually need to market and sell the book. And I found it very interesting how many mechanisms exist out there. Like you're hearing people being, you know, bestsellers, uh, hitting these records, uh, it, like the whole thing is an industry for launching books. And let, let's put this into perspective. And this statistic shocked me even by writing my own book is less than 4% of authors sell more than a thousand copies of their book. And that's just heartbreaking. You're like, you're putting years, like for me, it took two, two and a half years to write my book. And to think that less than a thousand people will grab a copy is like, oh, it stings. But you can realize that when you have an important message and you've written a great book, there's so many mechanisms that exist for you to put it out there, to hit those lists. And when you know your message needs to spread out, that's when you start realizing that you can pay to hit the records that you need to hit and to follow the strategies that are necessary for you to get the attention and earn the trust to be able to make the impact you want. And that ties a lot into what I believe in when it comes to selling with love. So it was an exciting time. I remember I was doing a lot of the PR work. So I was reaching out to everyone from every magazine. And uh, yeah, we got our articles on a ton of them. Uh, and it just came from going out there, building contacts, finding some automation, reaching out. And, you know, we made it, you know, it became New York Times bestselling book. Uh, and it was a fascinating journey. And I think Vision himself went on a growth journey because he was the founder of Valley, not the author. And we actually worked a lot with him while he was writing his book and putting his courses together. We're like, you're the author, like you're amazing. You need to teach. And even for people, most of you are looking at vision. They're like, oh my God, he's unstoppable. It's like, we all have our insecurity. We all have our doubts and it's great to have cheerleaders around you. And, you know, we really had a great time working with him and like helping him mold his program and giving him the permission and marketing and selling the hell out of it. And he ended up transforming so many lives by doing so. So it's a beautiful thing. Oh, man, you just hit on so many relevant points for me. I, I don't know if you know this, but I published my own first book uh, in the fall of last year. And man, definitely a rude awakening after sort of grueling through the, I don't know, 10, 11 months of just getting it together and packaging it and then realizing, oh, there's, there's definitely a whole, there's a whole another journey uh, with regards to selling and marketing. And you'd think I'd, that'd sort of be obvious for a, you know, a 15 year sales leader veteran. But for me, it was like, I, I don't know, it literally took my, a big piece of my heart and soul just to get that thing out. Uh, and, and then, you know, the, the energy to keep going, um, for, for the sales and marketing. Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was spent a little bit. Um, it, I guess give us a little more context on, on the experience with visions book. Um, what, what kind of team were you working with? And it sounds like you were predominantly focused on PR, but at a minimum, you were definitely exposed to like, wow, there's, there's a lot of machinery. There's a lot of strategy, to get in this thing to ultimately the success that it did reach. Yeah. So one thing I will share, and I was quite surprised and it actually motivated me to go towards the path of self-publishing for my book is they were working with a publisher and the publisher was like, we have a PR firm that we can recommend to you. And this was really interesting because they hire a PR firm. They're costing lots of money too. And 
at this point, this is what, 2015 or 16, I, I forget the year. I'm still in my junior type of years. I'm still learning. I'm in my you know late 20s here. And what happens is I get on a call with this PR company and they say, oh, you should have someone also kind of liaisoning from the inside doing the PR. So I was like, okay, I'll be that guy. And I'm talking with this PR team and they're like, great, we have a galley. And the galley is what is kind of the the digital version or physical version of the book that's not for sale, but it's an advanced copy that you can send to say journalists or anybody else who's going to do some exposure for your book. And so I get on a call with them and they're like, yeah, we have a galley ready. So what you need to do is you need to go out there. You need to go find some journalists. You need to go find some bloggers or anything that could spread the message. And as soon as you connect with them, just send them over to us and then we'll send them the digital copy. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, wait, isn't that your job? Like, aren't you the one going outreach? And they pulled some magic trick, man, I swear. But because I was like young and I didn't know any better. And to me, I was given an objective, get as much PR as possible and collaborate with them. I'm not questioning it. I'm just rolling with it. So I'm like, well, I have zero contacts, right? So I ended up, and this is an article I actually wrote for HubSpot on how to get a ton of PR for launching your book by just automating the whole process of reaching out. And this is before, like you can do this pretty easily now because technology has caught up. But at the time, I kind of went a step ahead to kind of use Zapier and call it hack it a bit to try to reach out as many. So um, I tried to find an expert to help me with PR at this point. So I went on a platform called clarity.fm. And for those of you who don't know, this is a place you can hire expert by the minute. And I find the best expert when it comes to PR. He's expensive as hell, but I'm like, I need his help. His name is Adrian Selimunovic, wrote a book called Free PR, fantastic book as well. And he says, find people that have written similar books and see who wrote about them and reach out to these people. So I went a little crazy because I had to do this in record time to help this book get launched. So I ended up finding a virtual assistant and I said, go through these book searches, find all the articles, grab the email of every person that's written these articles, add them to the spreadsheet, tell me what publication it was, what their name is, what their email is. And let's populate this uh, this spreadsheet. And this individual ends up finding 650 people. And then what I did is I started using a software like HubSpot. And then I started emailing everyone with a three email sequence saying like, hey, Bobby, I noticed you wrote about uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek in the USA Today. And I just wanted to reach out to see if you'd be interested in covering this new book by my uh, my employer, founder, Vishen Lakiani, Code of the Extraordinary Mind. We have free copies available. It's coming out in a few months. Your support would be amazing. And all of that was automated. So I just pressed a button and 650 people had that kind of mail merge, all that stuff. So it was really exciting to see the results of what I could do when I added a lot of personalization, but still do it in an automated way. So that was my little power team. And that's how I started conversations, started getting features, booked a bunch of interviews for him. And all of that was done in super efficient times. And that was just a piece of it. There was another whole team that were doing landing pages and promos. Like if you buy 10 books, you get some gifts. Like people were running these kinds of campaign. And here's the kicker. You want to have success launching a book. It boils down to one big lever. What size is your list? How many people do you have in your ecosystem already? And this is where we kind of get caught chicken or the egg, right? It's like, oh, but I want to write a book so I can build a list. But you need a list to be able to write a book. (laughs) What the hell do you do? And it goes a little bit hand in hand, but Mindvalley, I think we're at the right space to be able to launch the book. They had millions of emails and that's where the majority of the sales came from by sending emails, telling people buy this book. So there was a whole team doing that. There was the PR side where I've moved the needle and added a lot of credibilities and those fancy logos you want to have on that book page. Um, And then 
going on stages, finding the partner authors that were also big supporters, affiliates. So yeah, it was a big team and uh, we pulled it off. I think we ended up selling, it was either 10 or 30,000 books on the first week. I think it was, we had to sell 10 with pre-orders as well. I forget if it's 10 or 30,000, but we sold a ton of books. And uh, and then it was crazy because even if you pre-sell all these books, there's ways you need to buy these books to be able to hit those bestseller lists. So you needed an entire team that kind of goes and like, okay, if let's say Bobby bought the book in California, we needed somebody to go into Barnes and Nobles and physically buy it and ship it so that it registers as sales across. Like there's an entire industry to help you do this. And so is it worth it? I don't even know. But if you're at the mid-level and you're trying to make it to the bestseller list, there are products and industries you can work with to support you doing that. And some people are like, wow, well, it sounds like the whole thing is now like is jaded. Does it have any merit? No, yes, it does. Because if you're serious about launching your book, you need to spend the money to organize the mechanisms for the for the system to recognize that you are not just launching a book as a hobby. This is a business. You know you want to make that impact and you're ready to spend to make it. That's how you get to the next year. Now, Vision hasn't written just one book. He wrote a second one. And the second one now being with a top tier publisher, a lot of this was done automatically. Everybody comes in and does the support. So the level of hustle on the second book, still high, but definitely not as high as when you write your first one, because you need to go out, make your name, show people that, hey, we're jumping into the big leagues and it's going to be a bestseller. Mm. And I want to go too deep down this rabbit hole. Um, I, I could talk with you about this forever. Um, I just read a book. Have you heard of the book Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday? Oh, I have not. Is that a new one? You know, it's interesting because I've read so many of his books. I, I don't know when he managed to write this because it's definitely not in his like stoic um, yeah. series by any stretch. Um, and I stumbled on it to it by a, uh, a newsletter guy I, I follow named Josh Spector, I think is his name. Um, but anyway, um, he actually touches on uh, this like... Mm, how much is writing the book versus publishing it or how much is ver uh, of crafting, say a, um, you know, a play or a movie or, or some piece of art versus distributing it. And I would actually, I actually don't like how you put it, that it's 15%. I, I think he, he does a better job of describing it as like building it is its own beast and something that you actually have to put a ton time and energy into it because at the end of the day, if you sell a million copies of something, it has the underlying structure, right? The underlying like gift to the universe has to be awesome or it won't, you know, won't have sustained greatness, right? Maybe you have like one big pop, maybe you sell those first, we'll say 10,000 uh, in, in, in the example you gave earlier, but then you'll have no follow through specific and particularly for the second book, right? And then the second journey is the sales and marketing, which requires just as much, if not more effort, um, which I think the point you're definitely making is it, it, that that part just doesn't go as noticed. And um, when you hear, I think when the audience hears, hey, there's there's this whole team, there's five or six different strategies, months and months of work to get this book out into the ether uh, and get eyeballs reading it and you know money purchasing it. Um, that that can feel a little, I think, to use your word, a little jaded, right? A little. Um, just suspicious, 
but um, it actually makes total sense, right? Like it's just, it's, that's just the new game. It's just that much harder to play and requires that much more tenacity uh, uh, strategy uh, to kind of get it done. So um, it's, it's really cool that you went through that. And now, and now let's, let's cut to the chase here on selling with love. I think um, we can start to talk about, uh, you published it back in February, right? That's right. So it came out in February and, uh, you know, speaking to that statistic, I was very aware of that thousand copy threshold. Uh, and so I definitely made my plans around things I'd learned by launching, you know, the bestseller mind you, I didn't have the access to the massive marketing engine and budgets of Mindvalley. I'm launching this myself. So I had set a goal for a thousand copies and I want to get it done before the end of March, you know, doing a thousand copies within the launch. And uh, I was very happy to see that, yes, indeed, we did cross that threshold. So I was very excited about that. And uh, I realized that there's a lot of people that are going to be buying your book, buy, uh, buying your buy, buy, why I can't say it, <laughs> buying your book in bulk. Um, and so I've sold, I think it was something like 900 copies, individual copies that were sold out. And then there were a couple of people that bought over 50 copies and they distributed it to their audience. They distributed it to their clients. It was fascinating to see. And now the book continuously makes more sales month after month. And to be honest, it's a bit more on autopilot, but now it's kind of that business card that opens the door to everything else that I'm building. So obviously, as you mentioned in the intro, running the podcast, now I actually have my sales consultancy and it's all about teaching businesses, ethical businesses how they can actually use the power of sales in a good way to be able to sell more products, do it in an integral way or ethical way rather. Um, and not realize that, you know, a lot of us look at sales being like, Oh my God, it's yucky. It leaves a sour taste in the mouth. And I'm saying, no, nah, man, it can be done from a place of love. And here's exactly how. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, let's, let's get into that a little bit. It sounds like selling with love, the book proceeded selling with love, the podcast, which proceeded, Selling with love, the consultancy. Um, where did selling with love come from? Uh, that that sort of was the 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 precursor to the book, the catalyst, right? Um, you know, it's interesting. We'll circle back to Mind Valley because it was born within Mind Valley. And while I was there, there was I had a reputation. I was known as the sales guy, and it's very interesting because a lot of people at Mind Valley didn't recognize or acknowledge that Mind Valley was a sales organization. I mean, they're in the business of selling personal growth, educational transformation. And as such, there was a big adversity to sales. And even the way that they would design their masterclasses or marketing material and sales material, a lot of people would say, ah, there'd be kind of that downer around, oh, we want to build a great product, but why do we have to spend so much focus on sales? And I would, I would change the narrative. I would have these conversations saying like, no, this is beautiful. I mean, these people are out there. They want to face transformation. It's a hard thing. We need to spend time to understand them and show them what they need to hear for them to take a chance of buying something that's going to bring out their higher self. And that is no small feat. So regardless, people saying like, wow, I've never seen somebody so starry eyed about embracing the concept of sales because it, it just came to me naturally. And I remember there was a opportunity for learning within the organization, which was they brought a trainer for public speaking to help people learn about you know, how they could be better at talking from the stage. And I remember I say, I'll, I'll participate. And I had to come up with a talk and it just came to me. It, it, it wasn't something that like, I, I can't even say where the source was. I think it was on the taxi ride to the office. I had to prepare my talk, hadn't prepared it already. I hadn't prepared it already. So 
as I'm on the way there, I just had this idea selling with love. Everyone's telling me I love selling. What about selling with love? And I started playing with some of the ideas. And it's interesting at, at the time it was only three loves. And I just went on stage, did a three minute talk about it. And people were like, whoa, that was really good. And I'll keep the story short because the next thing that happened is a fest, one of the major festivals of Mind Valley, happened. And I was just the AV guy taking care of the audio at the back of the room. But I remember speaking to Vision saying, I have this amazing talk I'd love to give from the stage. And he just looked at me weird saying, yeah, brother, uh, keep doing that AV. You do a great job at that, but this is a world-class stage and I can't just put a rookie up there. I'm like, well, I'll tell you what, you put me on that stage, I'll blow everyone's mind. I'll probably be one of your best speakers. And he's like, confident, but let's wait. <laughs> um, and divine intervention, whatever you want to call it, two speakers had canceled due to visa issues on the day of their talk. And so there was a gap and I went, I had prepared, I'd slide. I, I was like, I'm going to prepare. Like if I'm going to take the stage and give this talk and I got the shot, I gave the talk and it was voted best talk of the event for 20 minutes. And so that was where it was birth. And that video is still on YouTube. Why selling is the greatest expression of love. And that was a, oh my God, I'm onto something. And so I never, I never embraced it. Like, I don't know if anybody listening here, you've had this idea, this concept, you've maybe wanted to push forward, but you're working within an organization. You're like, oh, that's a great idea, but I'll do that later. My, I still have a job. I still have priorities. So the, 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 the initial spark was there, but then it just became whispers that kept telling me like, keep talking about this, keep talking about this, but I did not embrace it. And it took years. It took really years before I realized that maybe I could go and really do something about this. 2019, end of 2019 is when I made the strong commitment as I'm talking with some friends and they're saying, if you want to stand for something and you have a message you find is important, there's a one thing you can do that is the domino to every other thing, which is write a book. If you really believe in your idea, write a book. Not only does it become that business card to say you are the person that stands for that thing, but your idea will become so much more refined, so much more matured, and so much more thought out of if you actually take the time to write a book. You write a book because it's hard to write a book. And as such, started to write the book. And then in parallel, everything started opening up. People want to hear more about the message. I'm starting the podcast, which now is rebranded at the same time, just before the launch. People are resonating to the message. I'm the selling with love guy. That's what happened. And then everything I do has to stay consistent to that line. And so I think it's a very powerful journey. It was one of the most wonderful one. And it started with an initial spark. This is back in 2014 or 2015, which then continue to listen, tweak it, tweak it, question yourself. Then in 2019 is when I say, I'm going to write a book in 2022 is when the book actually comes out. So it's a long journey and everybody has a different path, but this was the one that I followed. And I felt it was divine timing throughout the whole process. Mm. I mean, good on you, man. That, that, that's a long time to, um, sort of wrap your arms around, uh, the idea of investing in this, um, this thing that was really on your mind that you kind of brought into the world during that, that first talk. And, um, I think two, two things, um, I kind of wish I was able to, uh, check out before this conversation, one, that YouTube video, and then B, um, you know, I just got introduced to you last week, so I haven't been able to read the book. Um, so I feel a little flat footed here. Um, let's with, with the time we have left, can you give us, and, and, and if you want, start maybe all the way back at that, at that YouTube video, but um, 
but if it's refined so much further than that, you know, give us the, give us the latest refinement um, of just, you know, what's, what's the main message um, when we talk about selling with love for me, I think it's selling with, with love versus selling uh, with fear. Um, But I don't know if that's, if that, if that captures it enough. Yeah. Well, you know, what's the beauty about writing a book or doing these talks is you start getting so familiar with your material. You can talk for as little or as long about the topic. So I would ask you, Bobby, if you put a timer on, how long would you want me to tell you the concept? Because if you tell me 30 seconds, I'll tell it. If you tell me five minutes, I'll tell it. Uh, well, 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 we definitely got time. We got, you know, we got like 15 more minutes. Um, but I also am a big fan of constraints, right? Like I want to know, you know, I'm sure the whole book is great. I'm sure it's awesome. I'm sure every single word you poured over and, and <laughs> great. But I want you to tell me what's the what's the one shining little little ounce of of of, of knowledge or uh, experience that uh, that you want to make sure people people get out of it. Yeah, I mean the one liner in this case is this: is selling is nothing more than an energy exchange between conscious beings. And when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, that's what selling with love is all about. Now, I do talk, if I do a simple talk, I'll talk about love versus fear. I think those are the two big brackets. But in my book, I actually break it down into four levels of sales, which actually addresses one of the concerns most people have, which is why are there people that are so terrible humans selling shitty stuff and being successful at it? And that that's a paradox. You start thinking, Wow, how you're telling me to sell with love, but I've seen a lot of sales happen that aren't very loving, but they're having the success. What's going on there? So I break it down into talking about what does it look like when you're selling with shame and guilt blockages? You're resisting sales so much, sales don't even happen. You evade it like the plague. You work on your content, you work on your social media, you do everything except do the activities that will bring sales or put you in a scenario that you need to engage in sales because the concept itself is so appalling that your body physically resists it. And then I speak about what is the fear pride paradox. And this is why it's a paradox. This is when you learn the process of selling, but you don't care or take responsibility of the impact and effects of every sale you make. This is actually a bit more of a fear response than we acknowledge because we feel a lack. And so we go out to sell to feel better. And so there's never enough sales you can make to actually feel better. So you're going to be in a situation where you sell, 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 Bring, mon- bring money. Don't question the sales you make. Matter of fact, it's better to numb yourself every evening with some addiction issues, which are very common with salespeople, whether that's drinking, drugs, gambling, uh, sex addiction, you name it. We have all the stereotypes for salespeople that just go into their boiler room, follow the scripts, close the clients, but there's an energy exchange that happens anyway. So are we sensitive enough to realize what's going on? Does anybody that goes and becomes a wolf of Wall Street really feel good in the process of doing it? There's some mechanism that balances. And this is where I talk about why there's so many shitty sales that happen because some people can will numb themselves, not be aware enough of the impact of every sale they make. Mm. And then grow up to the next one, which is you try to sell in a way that you're not like those douchey, scammy people that sell. You're much better than that. So you present all the information, you put up the opportunity in front of people and you let them make the decision themselves. And the problem with that, which I call rational sabotage, is you don't take responsibility for the sale. You're not scamming anybody. That's great. But you're giving that responsibility to the buyer and they don't want it. See, the potential clients, the buyers, they have problems and what they're looking for is leadership. They're looking for someone to take care of them and to guide them towards the right way. 
And what we happen is when we put sales in a bucket that we actually do not integrate, we can't acknowledge that we want to lead, take responsibility, and really bring people towards a decision-making ability of doing something better for themselves. So we leave it up to them and we say, well, it's just because I'm not someone in sales, so it's not my fault. They can make those decisions. Of course not. It is your responsibility. And that's when I start introducing the concept of selling with love. Again, when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, the love emotion is what fills the gap. That's when you show up and you say, I have something like, for example, this book. I can go to somebody and I, if I understand them a little bit and I say, if you're somebody that has sales as a role within your organization or everyday life and you still have blocks around it or resistance around it, I will make sure that I can bring this book in your hands, whether it's offering you some free opt-in online where I can actually capture your email and put you on a sequence so I can eventually sell you a book, introduce you to these concepts, do free trainings, do webinars, build a course. All of the business ecosystem I've created is with a single goal of helping anyone with sales resistance that wants to build an ethical business. I will make sure that they get exposed to this message and I can transform them. I want to make that impact for them. And I will use the tools that are necessary to make them aware to solve that problem. That's not manipulation. That's empathy. That's speaking language that is necessary for people to understand the value you want to bring to them. So there you go, Bobby. That would be the shortest I could give it to you. Oh, that, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And, you know, and I, I just, I just can't agree more with almost all of it. Like it's, of course, Chris introduced us, um, you, you know, I think right down to how, you know, just your simple definition of sales being this exchange of energy between beings. Right. And, um, you know, the impact of that energy that you bring to the table uh, again, I, I think goes goes unnoticed quite a bit, but can't be overstated. Like it's, it's, it's the whole deal, much more so than, you know, what, uh, you know, what tactic you're using, what tool you're using, et cetera. Um, one thing I, one thing I am curious about in, in only if you, if you dug into this, but I, I do have a sense that there's a little bit more assumption that sort of the quote unquote, like, deceptive sellers do really well than is actual reality. Like, like I, I think that's more of a narrative sort of folklore. Like the, the folks that are really successful that I know do sell with love, do understand the impact. Like they really, really do want the customer to buy something, transform, be successful. They're, they don't have this sort of short-term mindset, this like stereotypical, you know, snake oil salesman thing. Like, is that a little bit more narrative than, than reality? There is a lot of narrative, but there is some reality. And the reality is that we usually just pay attention to the short term. And so what we'll get exposed to, and the fact is when you're shameless, you're just relentless and you're, and we also go through growth stages. Like I think back when I was 19, I've been at the point where I've sold something I didn't know any better. And I was very confident. Um, I think they had a expression at the time is when you're young, dumb, and full of, well, I'll let you fill the <laughs> blank. Um, and so we have to go through these growth stages. And, you know, even myself, I remember speaking with a gentleman, his name's Yannick Silver. He was a legend in the uh, online marketing space in the early 2000s. And when he started, he was like, I just want to get the Aston Martin and the Rolex watch. And he just sold some stuff. And and then at some point he realized like, yeah, none of that matters. And so he really grew up in the way that he sells. And now he has a product and, and a whole mission around lighting up a thousand suns so that we can light up the world. And he really wants to help these enlightened entrepreneurs to be 
evolved and make an impact. And that kind of came from the experience that he had going out there, trying to fill a need to sell, to get the abundance, to realize that's not the point and wanting to make an impact. And we, we, we started debating, we're like, do we need to go through that stage to be able to get the realization? And I remember on the interview, he was like, he had goosebumps when I asked that question. And he's like, I don't know. But hopefully by hearing this message being repeated, people can actually, uh, we'll, we'll use the TikTok language, skip to the good part, which is acknowledging that you can sell from a place of love with an impact first. And that is what brings a long-term success. That is what successful salespeople are doing. The problem is you can have a new shady salesperson pop up every week. And they might have short-term quote-unquote success, but it could be a quick crash grab, but then they'll fall down and then there could be another one down the block. And my big mission here is if I can teach the ethical businesses to solve real problems and to build businesses that actually are helping people, then there's going to be less and less opportunities for people to pop up a shop, to do a couple sales, to take the money and then disappear in the process. It does happen and they have success, but you're living like a fugitive, right? You're like a con artist. Mm. So the problem again is we'll be more exposed to those and we'll see more of those. We'll see the ads online. We'll see the scams that happen and the really, really great sellers. They're staying in their lane. They're serving their customers and they're usually working in very sophisticated sales field, which might not be as prominent as what we'll be exposed to in the B2C space. Cause that's usually where it'll happen because people will be less sophisticated buyers. So much more vulnerable to predatory sales tactics. And this is interesting because at the end of my book, in the conclusion, actually, I talk about how one of the additional missions I have around writing a book called Selling with Love is not just about selling with love. It's about buying with love. Like, how do I make buyers more aware to ask more questions, to demand more from the sellers so you can actually spot when there's a, a discrepancy or a gap in what's going on so you can make sure you protect yourself and you actually buy from a knowledge that you're actually supporting the things that align with your values. Hmm. Love that. Love that. Yeah. You definitely nudge up against the, I think anytime you, you sort of go down the rabbit hole of understanding, trying to understand the impact of salesmanship and uh, how you show up to the world when you're trying to exchange goods uh, for a living it eventually leads to the other side of the coin, which is, is the buyer. So that's, that's, that's really fascinating. Um, I, I have to ask, did you get, did, have, do you have a, an updated better answer for the question you asked him about, Wait, which, uh, which, uh, Oh, for the, uh, <laughs> cause that, that dude, again, you just got me with that. Like I, I, I've of course gone through my own journeys and, and now, you know, looking back, it's like, uh, you know, wh where, where was my, where was my mentor telling me that this is the way? Cause you know, it, it's so clear now it's sort of obvious, right. To, to, to sell with love uh, among other, you know, other ways to show up. But, um, maybe I had to go through that, that journey myself. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think my opinion is no, you can't skip it, but you can go through it quicker and with less negative consequences. I think depending on how quickly you can learn and go through it, I still feel there's a bit of a growth that happens by going through that phase. And it doesn't need to be a big traumatic phase that you go through that really costs you so much. And I think the more we have role models that are openly speaking about this new way of selling. And what I'm most excited about Bobby is 
I'm not alone on this mission. I've interviewed people on my podcast that written several books, including one called Selling from the Heart, Sell from Love, uh, Sell Like We're Human. I had Bob Berg, you know, who talks about the go-giver. Uh, I had another person who's, uh, well, I mean, you got uh, Dan Pink that I've interviewed or I brought on the podcast as well. Um, he talked about to sell is human. You see this new wave is coming. It's I'm just a catalyst to an eventuality that's happening. Is mm. We're becoming more aware that this is the way to sell. Matter of fact, I love going back to one of the classics, The Greatest Salesman in the World, a book written in the 1960s. Talks about a man on a journey to accumulate riches for themselves. And they come across these sacred scrolls that speak about what needs to be done to be a successful salesperson. What is one of the first scrolls? Love. That's one of the first scrolls. Love the people you serve. Love the products you create. And I'm like, I read this after writing my book. And I'm like, oh, look at that. I didn't invent anything. I just remind people of what is possible when you do this. So long story for the short answer of that. I don't think you can skip it. I think we can actually go through it very quickly. And I think when we learn from other people that are role models that are showing us that it can be done better, then we can quickly go to that good part. Well said and great book reference. That's Ogmandino. That's, that's another uh, one that, man, the first time I, first time I read that, actually, I think I listened to it on, on a train ride uh, when I was uh, commuting to LA for a sales job and that I've, I've read it a few times since it's uh it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, well, cool. Cool. I guess, I guess, um, last before we, um, you know, tell everybody where to buy the book and, and how to get in touch with you. Um, what's just, you know, so, so let's talk to the person that maybe isn't feeling so in love with sales right this moment. Uh, and, uh, what's like the smallest little thing that they can do to sort of, um, step into that. Um, maybe that lighter light a little bit and uh, um, start to start to go through that, 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 that challenging part. Yeah. I mean, number one is buy my book, (laughs) (laughs) but if you're sitting here and just looking for something to apply right now, because you're not accessing Amazon and you can't do an Amazon prime delivery same day for the amazing book that I have, you know, well, let's give you something I speak about in the book. I think we actually focus too much and it's very natural for us to focus on the terrifying and fearful responses in our environment, as opposed to the good things we see in our environment. And so if you're really hating sales, there's probably some key activities and memories you have around sales that you've decided to bucket everything in sales into saying that's how sales is. And I hate it. What I would suggest is to actually make a list of maybe in the last week, you've bought things in the last week. I know you have. But when you have a good or great sales experience, it usually goes unnoticed. But I want you to start noticing the good sales experience. Like, oh, you went to grab a coffee and the person welcomed you friendly. They got your order correctly and they gave you an amazing coffee. That's a good sales experience. You're like, yeah, okay. Well, it's not that significant, but write it down. And then you're like, oh, but then I, you know, I was um, maybe going to get some gas. Now that's usually not a fun sales experience, but the gas is expensive right now. But guess what? You go to the cashier, the person was smiling and you know you're, you realize, oh my God, look at this. Yes, it's expensive, but I live in a world where I can just go to a pump that will refuel my vehicle and then I'll get to travel with this car that I haven't had to, buy, to build. It was I, I got a chance to buy it. It brings me to where I go. This is amazing. And I think just realizing that there's things that we've bought in our life and we love to complain about, but my God, 
the convenience and the beauty we have in our lives is at the result of a sales process. The house you live in, the car you drive, the things in your life, the device you're listening to this podcast on was purchased. And all of that has shaped your reality around you. And so I would just ease on the hate from sales because we'll remember a few key negative sales experiences. And then you realize, wow, sales is happening all the time. And it is in the result of a sales transaction that I live the life that I have now. Maybe I can have a bit more appreciation for it and realize that I could go out there and start shaping other people's lives with what I sell, realizing that the first thing I'm going to do is solve people's problems and make an impact. Perfectly said, perfectly said. Uh, anytime we can uh, tr just track our, our, our daily interactions with the world, I think brings this awareness that is usually turned, the volumes turn way too low um, with like how much is really going on and particularly the positive signs, right? Those, those, those quote unquote negative moments just seem to scream a little bit louder. Um, so that, that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, other than that, of course, anyone listening, uh, please go out and buy the book. I, you know, in short order, again, I, I got introduced by mutual friend, uh, Chris, who, who's the host of this podcast or, or my production company, I should say. And, uh, yeah, quickly dug deep into the Jason Mark Campbell, um, you know, content realm and man, like. It, it, I'm just so aligned and so excited. I'm going to buy the book myself uh, and give it a read. Um, anybody listening, where's the first place they should go to buy the book, listen to your pod, get more Jason Mark Campbell in their life? Yeah. I mean, you said it right there. Uh, Jason Mark Campbell. Uh, Mark is with the C. You can find me on every social platform. I have the website, jasonmarkcampbell.com. I think if you go to sellingwithlove.com, which is also me, you'll find the podcast. You'll find a link to the book, a bunch of freebies. I have a training that's available there as well, which is uh, how to identify, attract, and close more clients by using methodologies of selling with love. So you can actually get results, make more profit, and do it in a way that feels good, which is what I'm all about teaching. Uh, that's a free training I just produced a couple of days ago. So for anybody who wants to check that out, uh, I can make it available. Matter of fact, I'll do one better for you, which is... Um, we're going to go sellingwithlove.com forward slash quota list, and people will get a chance to go through this training for absolutely free. And the special side at the back of it is I have a five-day training, a challenge, which actually gets people to reframe their negativity and fear around sales and actually get crystal clear on the difference they want to make, who they want to make it for, what product you're selling and how it aligns to that difference and why you need to start using the processes to sell effectively to really be empowered to sell with love. Uh, I'll make sure this is available for all your listeners for absolutely free. So it'll be sellingwithlove.com forward slash quota list and everyone gets to enjoy the whole thing for free. Wonderful. You're the man, brother. Thank you for doing that. Uh, you guys heard him tune in to, uh, or go check out sellingwithlove.com slash quota list uh, to get more John Mark, the free content and buy the book. Uh, thanks for, for coming on to quota list today, brother. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening. And I'm hoping I made the difference that I need to make for people that are listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please go and support it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. You can also subscribe to the Quotalist weekly newsletter by going to Quotalist.io. Remember, when you embrace practice, develop awareness, and align your efforts, you can rise above the deal. You can live Quotalist.